Welcome to the Toffee Blues, your source for all things Everton, and welcome to another show where I am joined by Terry Thomas, and a warm welcome to Mike Richards as well from the Unholy Trinity podcast. How are you, lads? Good, mate. Thank you. Yeah, good, mate. Happy back. Don't uh, don't ask three people if they're all right at the same time. Pick <laughs> <laughs> the name. <laughs> we all we all wanted to go there. No, this is this. I'm, I'm just envisaging myself walking into a pub or something and like giving everyone a wave and just like he's all right. Oh, what's a pub, mate? I don't remember them. <laughs> I'm going to have to build one in my room if it carries on like this. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm good. How are you, boys? He's, uh, he's okay? I'll, I'll go with uh, Thomas first. How are you, Thomas? And Sam, um, we need a bit of structure. Um, Someone's got to do it. Obviously, obviously, I've never been in a, in a pub in my life. I've got no <laughs> idea what, what that experience would be like, but yeah. <laughs> Right back to you, James. Yeah, there you go. We've got a bit of structure now. We'll just we'll, we'll just have to um, we'll get on to Mike. Then how are you, mate? Like, good to have you back on oh, the show. It's sorry, Mike. I didn't even ask you. Don't worry, mate. Don't worry. No, See, good, mate. This is why I was in charge in the first place. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what, the, stru- the, stru- the structure's gone already, hasn't it? It's out the window already after after two minutes. But no, good, good, mate. Yeah, good. Just uh, taking over, keeping busy, and looking forward in in a way of uh, the Blues coming back in some kind of fashion in about 10 days' time. Well, it's not long to go. 12 days it is till we're back in action. So, you know, it's not all bad. Of course, but then you realise you were playing. Yeah. Yeah. Or where we're playing it. We don't know yet. Oh, we, well, we still don't even know that, do we? So, obviously, yeah, that's for another day. We'll get straight into the action on this show. We've got a lot of things to get through. We'll be starting off with our manager review segment today, which will focus on the 16-month tenure of Ronald Koeman, followed by a debate around the rumoured possibility of us going back in for Kurt Zuma in the next window. Then we've got our middle bit. We'll keep that sort of random off-topic discussion where we'll, again, keep the focus on films. Then we've got a player performance review for the current season. And finally, we'll look ahead to next season with a brief discussion about the big news today that Everton have a new shirt sponsor for next season. So stay tuned for that later on throughout the show. And as always, we'll finish off, we'll round it off with a quiz. We are going to be looking back over the performance of Ronald Koeman as Everton manager from June 2016 to that fateful day in October 2017 after we got beat 5-2 off Arsenal. So we'll start at the beginning when he was appointed manager in the summer of 2016. Less than six months into Farhad Mashidi's period of ownership. Despite the previous season being disappointing, I think there was a lot of optimism for the future and speculation was rife as to who would succeed Roberto Martinez as we went, went into the June. Michael, start with you on this, on your return. How did you feel when Koeman was announced as manager? Was, was he the man you wanted, Mike? Very much like, like Marco Silva, obviously, after. Um, he was the man. That was much touted. There was a little bit of uh, backwards and forwards with Southampton. Um, I remember a lot of their fans saying at the time he wouldn't leave them for us, thinking they were on some kind of a some kind of pedestal. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, you, you saw with, with a lot of managers, you do sometimes get carried away with how they were as a player. Ronald Koeman was a world class player. Let make no mistake about it. So when you hear that name uh, being linked with the club, there was initial excitement, uh, and when he was announced. 
yeah, there was there was definitely optimism there that we could we could kick on and he could he could do something with obviously the the money of Mashiri, which had come in six months prior. So we thought, yeah, we could kick on and and hopefully hopefully he could uh, start getting us up to the upper echelons of the of the Premier League. Certainly, and um, of course, when he did come in, he took Southampton to sixth, I think, the previous season. So obviously that was where we were aiming for on a short to medium term basis. How confident were you that Koeman could t- obviously turn around a squad that was underperforming under Roberto Martinez? I think, like like any manager, you've always got to give them that time. I, I find myself to be fairly patient when it comes to Everett managers, unlike unlike some. And again, you 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 understand why that is. But I always thought let's give them a little bit of time. You know, it's the first time really we've come into any kind of significant money. Um, let's not waste it. Obviously, we know what happened after that. But yeah, I think he would be able to to do something and, and build a side. Obviously, is from his uh, managerial past, he hadn't really done a great deal in terms of his managerial career. Hadn't really proven anything, to be honest. Um, but even so, you you do get sucked in, as I said before, by the naming of, of who the man was. And I thought, given a bit of time, we could we could kick on and, and, and definitely start to push up and, and finish start to finish higher in that sort of top six of the of the Premier League table. Yeah, um, obviously we'll move on to you now, Thomas. When when he did come in, obviously the start was really good, wasn't it? You know, we, we I think we won the first five out of six games. We drew with Spurs and then. One five, one five in a row, which was obviously got every everyone's tongues wagging a little bit. What, what did you think when we got off to that start early on in the season? Um, obviously, I was, I was immediately quite impressed. You know, he'd come from Southampton, which it also traditionally had a bit of a squad. They tend to be a bit of a bit of a southern team, obviously, basically Liverpool's B team. And he came into a he came to Everton, and obviously he had that trio of Lukaku, Barkley, and Delafeo, which is now. We look back at it, it had a lot of promise and some people are disappointed it's not there anymore. But obviously, I think the team he inherited was already quite strong. Obviously, Gareth Barry was getting on a bit. But then in terms of that front three, he already he kind of inherited a front three that was, uh, you know, is one of the best in the league. And obviously, Delefeu and Lukaku had that link up, uh, that partnership where they had like the most assists and goals. I can't remember what the exact record was. But it was one of the yeah, highest in the league. So when we got the year before. Yeah, so when we got off to that start, you know, it, it was it was definitely exciting and promising things to come. But obviously, Coleman's kind of downfall came as soon as he lost Lukaku, really, and never really had a plan B. But the definite start was, you know, it was hopeful at the start and kind of what we'd seen at Southampton in glimpses, just maybe not over a consistent period. Obviously, we will get on to what happened after Lukaku left. But for the duration of that season, you know, we, we started off very well and then we had a bit of a blip, didn't we? I mean... What did you think when obviously we, we had a we had a really poor spell where I think we lost to Southampton, which obviously there was a lot made of that and we got be five nil off Chelsea and then it was a pretty dreary spell, if I remember rightly, in the November where and then Kuman obviously put up his red Christmas tree and that just sent everyone round the bend as well. So it was a bit of a, a weird time. We were only by this point we were only like three months into the season, his first season and People were starting to question it. Was that? Did anyone start to have reservations? And I'll ask that to the three years. Did any years think that it was a bit? We we it was a bad appointment at this stage, or were people still going to give him time? Uh, no, I I think um, 
with any managerial appointment. You can't you can't make that call that early into a tenure. Like obviously, you know, we'll come on to when he did move on and the reasons for that, don't we think of that? But even with Marco Silva, you know, last season, um before they had the turnaround after the big you know, the long break in the second half of the season, I don't think you can sack a manager. Unless you look like you're gonna go down, I don't think you can sack a manager in his first season. There's too much that isn't like, you know, even you know, the cement's not dry or anything to try to build yet. So no, I didn't have any issues with Cumin at this point. Well certainly I think and then obviously we we go on a bit of a better run. We beat Arsenal in the December and the Christmas period, which is pretty rare for Everton, was actually pretty decent, save for the Derby defeat. And um yeah, so obviously we, we go into the January and the form from sort of January to March was very, very impressive, if I remember right. And we were beaten granted a lot of mid table teams, but every side that you'd expect us to finish above, we were beaten. And obviously Lukaku was probably in the best form. Just touch on one game in particular before we get to the next season. We have to remember the 6-3 against Bournemouth. Uh, does anyone Was anyone at that game? Yeah, but it was no. one of those games where when you think about the Koeman era, if you're like, that's one of the games that you look back on, obviously really fondly. And it was a, a crazy game. So it reminded me a little bit of the, the, uh, the Blackpool game, obviously years earlier. Yeah, uh, I, was at, I, was at, I was at both of them. Yeah, similar, similar kind of game, just backwards and forwards. But you, you, had, you had obviously the Kaku banging in four goals, Ross Barkley obviously playing, playing well. Um, and it was just one of those games where, you know, a bit like a basketball game. And that was one of the ones that really, that really stands out. But like you say, at that time, you know, we started as a beat. We were beating teams that we should be beating, which is always, uh, you know, we always look back on seasons and say we should have picked up points at X, Y and Z and, and didn't do. But we started to do that. And obviously we, we had a, a decent spell, like you say, uh, in that, that part C- of the season. Beat Man City as well. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's the one that obviously sticks out with the, the Tom Davis goal and, and obviously Luckman's goal, etc. But you know, there was a few, there was a few highlights in that first season. Obviously, with us finishing, you know, in, in the European places, you, you then think, listen, we can kick on here. We've got a good young side, some some real quality. But then, obviously, the transfer window, which obviously I'm sure going to come on to, happens and and things start to change. Okay, well, we'll move on to that sort of issue with what what happens and when the sort of Winds of change started blowing, if you like. Obviously, we started to bring in players first. Jordan Pickford and Davy Classen were the first two to come in. What was the general feeling, do you think? We'll go to you here, Thomas. What What did you think like when Pickford and Classen was announced? Like those first uh, two signings? I, I was quite impressed, to be fair, because obviously Pickford had had a, a decent season with Sunderland, even though Sunderland were disastrous that year. But he was def- his name was, you know, amongst, you know, the kind of the top clubs in the league. Everyone was looking for a young English goalkeeper. So I was impressed that we managed to get him. And then obviously David Klassen had just come off that Europa League run with Ajax, where they lost in the final to Manchester United. So it seemed at first we were picking up players who we might not have been expected to. Definitely the first couple where we've seen names, you know, in the past where they've been linked with us and also like, you know, like your Chelsea's and your Arsenal, people like that, and just go somewhere else and they don't come to us. So it almost seemed like a bit of a change of tune when we started bringing in players who would, because obviously you always get the links where it's, you know, Leicester, West Ham and Everton, you know, we all get linked to the same players. It doesn't really matter. But those first couple of transfers, we were signing players who were linked to us, but also, you know, clubs higher in the table, which was surprising, probably definitely a change of tune from what we've seen in the past. I think the big one, I think the one that everyone was sort of gritting the teeth over and we were sort of biting our nails. I think I remember Sandro was linked with Real Madrid at one point. 
um, which is insane when you think about it now. But obviously, he, we ended up getting Sandro. He was one of the next signings after that. What did everyone think about Sandro, Terry? What do you think? I think the same then as I think now. It was, you know, you can't blame the club for going for that. It seemed like, you know, a no-brainer. Like, there was a lot of ills in this summer, a lot of poor deals made, a lot of um, bad investments, but I don't think this was one. Okay, they, they did give him wages that were too high. They, you know, the club were played like a, like a fiddle by his agent, you know, these Real Madrid. Real Madrid and... Atletico Madrid as well were linked with him and what yeah. have you, but... But at 20, whatever he was old then, 20 years old, was he at the time? He's some, a young 20, player. He wasn't old. Yeah, he was a young player who just uh, scored, you know, 14, 15 goals in La Liga. Um, and he has like a £5 million release clause. It just was an absolute no-brainer. You know, they, you've got to take a chance on that player and, you know, he could come good. If we hadn't given him the wages that we give him, then it wouldn't have, wouldn't be a big deal. You know, we were, you know, we'd just move him on. But it showed the naivety which haunted us for the whole window and is still haunting us now that we were just throwing money everywhere. I don't blame the club for going after Sandro. It didn't work. But it's... I it's, do the way, it's the wages yeah. we've been saddled with. Is that the yeah. issue with the deal? Yeah, I do blame the club for making it impossible to move him on because if he hadn't have been given them wages, I still think we would have got him because, let's be honest, Atletico and Real probably weren't going to go in for them, but we fell for it, didn't we? That's it, yeah. I mean, I think that's where what I was actually going to move on to next is, obviously, this is a Ronald Koeman review, but what part did Steve Walsh have to play in Koeman's tenure and the sort of signings that we brought in? Was Do you think there was a, a bit of like button heads maybe there, like players coming in that one didn't want and did that kind yeah. of undermine the transfer window? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, I personally think that um, of all the, the villains of this piece, I think Koeman is the, the most innocent. Now, Koeman obviously was, you know, he had some hands in it, but he's the first team coach. He's the one who's got to put the players on the pitch and make a team out of them. And our transfer business was the most scattergun, unjoined up mess you'll ever see. We're still paying for it now. You know, he, he, How can you blame Koeman when his top scorer, one of the league's most effective strikers for the past several years, leaves? And then he's replaced... What do you go and buy him? Like, he gets... Sandro. You know, yeah, he, get, well, he, gets, he gets a kid, a gamble. You know, that's fine. Get him and someone else. Fair an, an old Rooney. Yeah, and a washed-up Rooney, a kid who you took a gamble on, and a loads of midfielders who all play in the same position. It was just... It was, it it was insane, I think. Yeah. Now, I mean, this may come to be almost poetic, given what we know now and our general opinion on this player. Terry, I'll reserve this for you especially. Um, for me, the moment when I realised we we were going to... We'd lost the plot was when we bought Gilfie Sigurdsson. For 45 million, knowing that we already had bought Rooney and Klassen. That was the point where I thought, we haven't got a clue what we're doing here. We've lost the plot. I'm not sure if you second that, Terry. No, not at the time. I was a big fan of Sigurdsson. I, I would have been fine with Sigurdsson and Klassen. I think you could have accommodated the two of them. But you couldn't obviously accommodate, you know, Rooney as well. You couldn't accommodate um you know, Vlasic as well, you know, like, uh, the, all these players who play in like the sort of number 10 attacking midfielder position. I felt at the time 
that Sigurdsson was a good player and he was a good buy. He, obviously, I don't think anyone thought he was value for money, the money that we were spending, but I think everyone was just excited to be buying players. It's just, We've spent that, that long without spending any proper money that the second we've got it, we start buying, you know, you know, we're just buying like attack right centre. It's intoxicating. Everyone was was pleased, but then when when it came to putting it on the pitch, you saw the first game of the next season. He had Klassan on the right, Sigurdsson on the left, and Rooney behind the striker and a four to be at wing back. Yeah, it, it it when when the players got on the pitch, we had we had all these like sort of attacking midfielders, but absolutely no pace in the whole team. I think at one point they said the fastest player was Jagielka, which tells you everything. <laughs> I'm sure this the is a, This is a Jagielka who was who just turned 35. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think was a good fit for an Everton manager, where, you know, long term, you know, big picture wise rather. But I do think he, the biggest story is how let down he was by the transfer business. He he's the the coach. He doesn't sign off on the players. I think there was about three or four people who were signing off on players that summer, and I think Kuma was the most high-profile victim of that because it, what else could he have done if you've got no strikers anymore, but you've got five midfielders in the same position? I just thought it was insane. What we'll do with it then, we'll just run through all the signings that summer, and who do you think actually signed these off? I'll let you all jump in on this. We've got Pickford and Klassen. I, I, reckon, I reckon those guys were players who... I think Klassen was definitely a Kuma pick. Yeah, I'd say Klassen for Koeman. Yeah, I'd say Pickford was more of a Walsh one. Pickford was a Bill Kenlight one. Bill Kenlight, Stan of Van Jordan, Pickford, 100%. That's definitely a Bill Kenlight. Now, bring bringing Rooney back like when he was clearly <laughs> over the hills. Definitely a Kenwright sign. Rooney, Rooney is the most nails on Kenwright one of, of <laughs> in history, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Sandro, that seems like Steve Walsh thinking he's pulling off another Riyad Mahrez and then yeah, it's, just, it's Sandro. Those pictures of Walsh watching him, wasn't there? Um, at a Seville match um, when uh, Malaga were away to them and uh, he, he, pictures were circulated of him, of him watching a Malaga player and obviously it turned out to be Sandro so I'm going to go with Steve Walsh for him. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of them. I, mean, I think it was fitting that he went to the Sevilla game as well because he was watching Sandro and going, tell you what, we should sign him and loan him there in six months' time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I go yeah. with Gilfie Sigurdsson would be Machiri. Yeah, that'll definitely be, yeah. Throw, yeah. throw big bucks at anything, literally. Um, yeah. Michael Keane. Go. Michael Keane will Did be Walsh, 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 yeah. Walsh, yeah. definitely, yeah. And obviously, I think because of the Southampton connection, it has to be Koeman, who unfortunately... Saddled us with Cucumber Martina. <laughs> that's, that's got to be, that's got to go down as one of the most. I mean, he was versatile, obviously, he ended up playing left back, but I mean, he was never a, never a good footballer. He's, he's, he's just kind he's, of put he's, in he's, there. He's only versatile because he's equally crap in every position. Yeah, yeah, he just plugged gaps. He was never a good footballer. I don't, I don't really get what we were doing that whole time with him, but yeah. Uh, obviously, he's still here. I don't know why we're talking about. Talking about him like he's left, he's still under contract at the club. It's always uh, worrying when you sign a player and the opposition, the team that they're signing him from, their supporters are on Twitter. Like, you know, when you buy a player from abroad and you just see, like, fans and they're all, like, got crying, laughing face emojis. (laughs) Well, we didn't need any translation when Southampton were were all 
their heads off that we bought Cooper Martin and he was like their third choice right back. Yeah, I think uh, I, I remember like that's kind of why I was so depressed on the live deadline day show last year when we got a Wobie for 35 million and all the Arsenal fans were just ripping us. <laughs> I just thought, I mean, I don't think a Wobie's that bad, but it's obvious we've had our pants down there. And again, it's, it's a sign that they, maybe that sort of you know, big spending culture that machine he's brought. Maybe he's still not really hell-bent on letting go of that just yet. He seems to always want to put his hand in his pocket, which, fair play, as an ambitious owner, that's great. But obviously, with those financial constraints that we've got to work with, and certainly in the summer of 2017, we didn't do that. Uh, no, so you know, I think... Sorry, I think... No I just think Corbin came into the club. And, a, and an unfortunate time for him because it was a, it was a fairly new structure bringing in Steve Walsh as the director of football. It was the first time we'd had money in, you know, how many years? Well, since like the 1980s. I mean, like it was it was ridiculous, really. And I think he just I think it was an unfortunate time. And I think if he came in now with the structure we've got now, obviously he won't be coming in now. But if he had come in at this point with like we've got more security now, Marcel Brand is more you know careful with money. I think he would have been a lot better. But that kind of you know free firing. We've got money. We've got a director of football. Let's buy whoever. I don't think that was really good timing for a, a fairly decent manager, to be fair. It's it's worth remembering as well that Steve Walsh was only a chief scout. He wasn't actually a director of football, so he was probably out of his depth. And I think the lasting legacy of Steve Walsh will be his briefcase jaunt in Northern Italy, where I don't I don't know what he done. I don't know what he had in the briefcase, but clearly it's linked with like eight players, wasn't he? Yeah, we're going to come back with like eight of Inter Milan and AC Milan players, and that was just that was the most exciting rumor ever. Yeah, and we came back with uh, nothing. <laughs> probably, probably for the best because we're letting him off with two of his worst signings, um, Schneiderlin and Balassi. Oh yeah, we haven't even got onto the, the the ones that happened before that. I mean, Schneiderlin, the boat's still here. The boat, <laughs> Balassi is here now because he's had his loan cancelled, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I mean, my God, that it really was. I mean, I was talking to my mate about this last night, funnily enough, about like, do you know when people talk about clubs and banter eras? This was the height of it. Obviously, that that summer of them, like we 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 buy everyone, we think we're gonna do bits, and then we just have the most depressing season going. Um, obviously, we'll have to we'll finish we'll have to finish off by by looking into the the early stages of that season and what got Coom in the sack. At what point did you? Decide. I'll go through the three years here. When did you decide that enough was enough with Ronald Koeman? I, I'll jump in then first, if you don't mind. Then it, yeah, go it's on, difficult. Man. It's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously he didn't start that season well at all. But I remember sitting at Old Trafford fairly early on when Le, Lukaku scored in the four 0 win and um, Valencia scored a pair after about four minutes. And we had we had a couple of chances in that first half in Rooney and Sigurdsson. With, with the two sort of who missed the chances, but I think even at that that point early on, as I say, I'm 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 as as patient as they come, but I sat there just wondering what he was actually doing, and you know the formation of the side, the players that he was picking. Again, it, it goes back to the to the transfer window and trying to sort of shoehorn players into a formation, uh, and it was never never going to work. So even even that early on. Against, you know, for me, an average United side, they weren't going to pull up any kind of season, that, for me. Um, and that was disappointing, but obviously, as the time as the time went on, obviously, the Arsenal game was a killer, wasn't it? The 5-2. Uh, you know, just, you know, the Williams uh, fighting the fellow coming down, the stupidest kid and stuff like that. That was sort of the uh, 
the highlight of the cumin or the end of the cumin reign for me. And it's sort yeah. of that pissed my whole just 17, 18 start of the season. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a difficult start of the season. You know, we reeled off some of the names there. We had like most of the top six in the first like two months. Do you ever think that was that sort of got held against them a bit? Do you think it was he was harshly treated in that respect, or did he have to go? Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, mate. I, um, yeah. I know, I know what you're saying because we, we had we had similar obviously with Silver as well in terms of who we're playing. I think McCoomin he had that season before and did did fairly well, didn't he? And you just thought we were going to kick on and like you you're going back to the transfer window. That was a, the the massive sort of nail in his coffin almost. But the and like we just said, he wasn't sort of the the whole reason to blame for the whole thing. Steve Walsh, Ken, like Monsieur, you ever you want to put a portion of blame too. But I thought we would have kicked on and and, and given you know. You know, the Arsenal game, the five two at home, even you know, we win against Arsenal side, give them more of a game, and we didn't do as I say, United away, be more competitive, and we weren't. So as much as we were playing sort of top six sides, for me, he still should have done that a little bit better. Certainly, I think, I think it was a it was a bad start of fixtures, to be fair. But was it that Burnley one 0 Was it that season when oh. you know it was kind of in the middle of it all? And like obviously, you you can't blame him for you know losing the games that he lost against the top six. But that Burnley game, it was just hopeless. I think everyone understood at that point. I think the, the problem stretched further than, oh, we've just played some some good sides. That that Burnley side was absolutely nothing. It was it 1-0 at Goodison with a Jeff Hendrick goal. I yeah. mean, that was awful. We stood there and made them look like Barcelona and no one put a tackle in. Yeah. I, I mean, I think at that point we knew that was it. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it came sooner than any of those ones that you have said. Uh, it was the game before. United. It was when we got beat three 0 off Atalanta. It was when I made my mind up. I think I just remember we we looked an absolute mess, completely disjointed, and obviously it only went on to get worse. Like you say, like the the Burnley game was probably the worst of it. Even though it was the Arsenal game that sealed his fate, the Burnley ones are the one I remember where it was really really dour. And there just didn't seem to be any hope. Teddy, do you want to give your word on it before we finish up on Koeman? Yeah, well, what was the question? When did we decide? Um, yeah, that it when was when did up? you decide you'd had enough of Koeman? I never did. I I honestly, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It, it, it was terrible. The Atalanta game, you know, the, the Burnley game, awful, awful performances, awful results. But I didn't blame Koeman as much as everyone else did. I'd, I obviously, yeah, he, I'm not saying he did well or anything, but I, I genuinely felt that given the same run of events that happened uh, for the for Unsworth and Allardyce, it, we would have just done the same thing. I think if he, if Kuma would have got to January and bought even the same players, Walcott and Tosin, I think we'd have done exactly the same that we did do and just won a lot of won a few more agreeable home fixtures. And made better use of um, you know having Walcott in the team and and Balassi at you know bit of pace, and um, I don't think we would have been that much worse off. Like, like I, I'm not saying it was good, but I I remember thinking at the time this no manager's going to come in and suddenly make you know these players fast or or Ashley Williams you know not an idiot and and so on and so forth. Um, so I never did you know think Cumin's got to go. It's Cumin's fault. 
didn't really argue against it when it did happen because it was a bit, bit hard to at that point. But if, if I'd have been in charge, I would have stuck with him, just given the circumstances around it. So a different answer from everyone there. That's an interesting one. I think it, I think it's fitting really that it should be me who comes up first, the one who's got the least patience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just before we finish, I will have to touch on one thing that came to light after Cooman left, and that's the story about, I think, when Graham Sharp gave him a book on Everton's history and he threw it in the bin. Were you aware of that? I've, I've never heard of that. No. I'm sure but one of the Everton ambassadors, like a club icon like Sharp or Graham Stewart or somebody gave him a book on to read about Everton's history and he threw it in the bin. Not great if it's true, but I've never heard that personally. Like, after, I'm, I'm, after, I'm gonna have to do a bit of research. Here. I'm sure I'm, I might be making something up here. I'm pretty sure it happens. <laughs> I mean, maybe it did, but it's one of the, it's one of those things you could probably do if you if you're winning. You know, if you know if we win this derby, Ancelotti could set fire to a book like that if he wanted to. But if you're not winning, you can't do that. Uh, God knows, I can't find anything. So I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to look into that. I, I, I might have made that up in my head there, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm I'm a bit of a cumin detractor, so that sounds about right that I'd make something like that up. But I'm I'm honestly convinced that I heard that somewhere. But yeah, there there you go. I'm not, I'm not sure how much truth there was in that, but it was a. Disappointing season anyway, the the way it got got off to that sort of start. I think that defeat against Arsenal left us about seventeenth. So we dropped we dropped us to the bottom three, I think, didn't we? After that game, bottom three. Pretty sure we did, yeah, yeah. But so obviously, that as soon as Everton go into the bottom three, there's instantly a lot of anxiety. I think people who've been scarred by the nineties, like thankfully I'm not one of them. I don't think any of us are, are we? I am. I know yeah. I don't look it. I know I know I don't look like my age and all that. I look about twenty three, but you know, yeah, I, I yeah. was I was there for both, yeah, both Wimbledon and Coventry. But that's it's 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 a fear factor, isn't it? Once once you start floating around there, that happened obviously to to Sosa Marco Silva as well. It it happens, doesn't it? And you don't want to be and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be anywhere near those positions. So once we start sort of uh, getting sort of the bottom four or five, then yeah, the minds are unfortunately will always always be looked at. Yeah, uh, obviously that happened, and we just have to finish off by asking, what would you say Ronald Koeman's legacy is at Everton? Um, I'll I'll go in first. Uh, on, I, I think I think most people thought. I mean, out of the past, you know, a couple of managers, you know, we've been through a few in the past few years. I think he's. I don't, I don't want to make any bold accusations here, but I think people are warmed more to him than people like Marco Silva. Marco Silva never looked really like he had a clue what he was doing when we went down, you know, this season. But in, with Coleman, you still kind of believe in him a bit, as Terry was saying, like he never really gave up on him. So I think out of the past few, people are more endeared towards Coleman, apart from obviously the red Christmas tree. But I mean, I mean, if it still, it still wasn't ideal. And I don't think anyone's asking for him back anytime soon. But I don't think out of everyone that we've had in the past couple of years, he's, he's the absolute worst. Terry? Um, for me, 
his legacy will just be when he came into the club, saw that a left back was number eight, and he went absolutely nuts and took it off him <laughs> to Ross Barkley. No, oh, I, mean, I think the I think the lasting legacy of him will be that picture of him on the touchline where he looked like Phil Mitchell. It's like that's what oh. they got to do. When he when we first saw him, he was in his villa in Spain drinking a Corona, having a great time. He'd just been announced as the manager, and he wasn't even like here, like you know, not a care in the world. And then when it was um, almost time to go, he was on the touchline at Goodison Park. I think what, what was the game? It was, the Leon, it was the Leon game in Europe. Yeah. And he looked absolutely like like a corpse, didn't he? He was like a bloated ginger corpse. <laughs> That's a, cl- a, cl- a classic. What about you, Mike? Um, he's he's a little bit of a sort of bluff for me, Cumin. It seems really strange, as I said. Like, when he was first touted to coming in, and, and when he when he signed the contract, I thought, you know, fantastic. What what a player he was. Let's hope he can he can kick on as a manager with us. And it's just you know that first season was was decent. It was almost expected for me because with the side that we had, I always thought, yeah, we should be knocking down top seven. You know, make make no mistake. The sides outside the usual top six, you know, we should have we should have been top of them. Um, so we, the way that it, it it panned out, it's it's a little bit a little bit of a blot, I think, on the. Everett managerial landscape, but like we've said, was he to, to blame 100? percent Of course he wasn't. You know that 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 transfer window will always be the thing that we look back on and think if we could have done something different during the Cumin era, could it have been different going forward? If we would have got that window right. Could he have kicked on with the the management style that he's got? You know, look at him with with the Dutch national side, and they have progressed under Ronald Cumin. I know they've got a, a decent talent pop, but they have progressed compared to where they were. So could he have taken us forward? But yeah, it, it, it's a shame with Cumin because, as I say, he did bring a bit of excitement, but unfortunately, um, a rating higher than Sam Allardyce, obviously, um, which might be oh, well, well, in some people's eyes, some people love Allardyce. I don't know, you know, I don't know why, but um, yeah, he's a little <laughs> bit of a bluff for me. They're not welcome here anyway, they are. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I, I, not. I, I think that I, this is a unanimous decision that there's no <laughs> no Sam Allardyce approval in this show. <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame you couldn't have done the Sam Allardyce here. We did that one a couple of weeks ago. So if you if you're watching, check that one out as well because that's oh, obviously yeah. a little bit. That's very fiery. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for me, I think Ronald Koeman, his legacy for me is the amount of mistakes that were made. Obviously, like Mike just said, not necessarily his fault, but a lot of mistakes were made. The mistakes that sadly the legacy is the mistakes that we're still paying the price for. Players who are still on the books who we can't shift. And that'll always be what I remember. Unfortunately, like that that era of bringing in too many players on too much money, and we still got a couple more years to shift them all out. So, unfortunately, again, I'm with Mike there, a bit of a block. But you know, there was good memories as well. So there you have it, guys. That's the end of the Cooman review. Let us know what you thought of Ronald Cooman's time at Everton. He obviously he was a bit of a divisive figure, as you can tell from this show. We're going to be deciding whether or not Kurt Zuma should be worth re-signing for Everton in the next transfer window. Of course, a new centre-back is still on the agenda for the summer, but is Zuma the answer? We'll start with you, Thomas, this time. Are you surprised we haven't heard more links to Kurt Zuma, given how much we chased them last summer? Um, well, I think in terms of rumour, it, it's more of a more of a cheap one for kind of news outlets to come out with because obviously he was a former loan player and it's, it's an easy one to put out there but I 
I think that maybe rumours died down more because Lampard genuinely seems to have no interest in selling him whatsoever. You know, sometimes when you have loan players that go back to the parent clubs, managers aren't like as clear whether they're going to keep him or not. But Lampard never seemed like he was going to sell him. And I doubt he will now, to be fair, because he seems happy with him um, in defence. And, you know, they've got more uh, more worries elsewhere. But in terms of centre-backs, I, I just doubt Zuma's ever going to come, really. It's disappointing as much as it is. I, I, I was more hopeful last year. I think before Lampard took over, there was a lot more rumours. But now I, I can't see it happening, really. And I think if it was going to happen, we'd have to spend two watching him. And I think we'd be making a video in a couple of years' time talk about how much we overspent on Kurt Zuma. Yeah, I think, well, the reason I ended up bringing up this topic was the Daily Star said that Chelsea would be open to selling him this summer and that he's fallen out of favour, which I'm, I'm, I know the Daily Star is not usually noted for its accuracy and integrity, but, you know, this is a... It's, it's a, like you say, it's a bit of a cheap rumour, but is there any sort of sort of substance behind that to think Chelsea will consider selling him? Teddy, what do you think? Um, I definitely think they consider selling him, but not for cheap. Like they, you know, they're not they're, just because he's he, he he may be surplus to requirements now doesn't mean Chelsea suddenly becomes stupid overnight. He's still, you know, a decent player who could command a decent fee. And I think at the minute, unless we would you know, very, very outside. I wouldn't imagine this would happen. But unless we were to get him on loan again with a view to buy this time, with a you know a buy option in, included, then I can't see it you know being possible. And now you know you might go, oh, why would they loan us him again if we've already had him? Um, I think only because of the effects of COVID nineteen. You know, like the you know the, the funky sorts of finance. You know. Um, transfers that we're probably going to see as a result of that. You know, you're going to see loans or two-year loans or swap deals more than you'd ever saw before in the Premier League. Um, I do think Zuma's a good player. I I wouldn't be upset if we did, you know, go back for him. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be super excited too because I, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in not going back um, outside of very, very, you know, rare circumstances. But how often do players go back to clubs they've already been at? Even if it's just on loan and then they live up to the previous standards, or if they weren't, you know, successful the first time, um, how often do they go back to clubs they've been at and they're even better? I could couldn't see Zuma coming in and being any better than he was when he was first here, and as you know, consistent as he was, did he really kick us on to that next level? Did he really, you know, rip up trees? I, I'd rather spend the type of money that it would take to get Zuma on someone who could potentially be a little bit better than Zuma. Obviously, that, the, the big thing that we have to take into account as well is that when we were pursuing Kurt Zuma last summer, Marco Silva was the manager, and now we have Carlo Ancelotti, who might not rate Kurt Zuma for all we know. But what sort of influence can Ancelotti have on this situation? Like Obviously, he might have a different idea of what he wants to play at centre-back. And we have been linked to a few different names. And do you think that maybe puts puts an end to the Kurt Zuma possibilities? Yeah, I, I would I'd imagine so. Just um, because how often do you see, you know, do you see players who are linked with a club under one manager, but then ends up, you know, still going there after, you know, when a new manager comes in? United don't get linked with players who they were linked with under Mourinho anymore, do they? You know, like. Uh, and I'd be amazed if we were, you know, 
still interested in players who were Marco Silva targets. Carlo Ancelotti will have his own targets and his own you know style of play. And I think if we were interested in Zuma, it would have come out before now because it it, it is just a link that went away. And, and frankly, and I don't mean this in a sort of like oh well you know screw him kind of way, but he knocked us back last summer when we were after him all summer. So I think it's just right for the club to move on to different targets because he clearly if he want if he wants to come now. His attitude isn't right because he didn't want to come in the first place. So it would just be a case of where like a consolation prize because he couldn't make it at Chelsea. Yeah, I think that's a really good point as well. I think we don't really want, and I understand that those sides are above us in the league, but you don't really want sloppy seconds off the top six. Mike, what do you think? I was always a massive Kurtzuma fan. Um, obviously, you know, people forget he he wasn't consistent in that first probably half of, the, of last season when, when he was obviously with us and then he, he was starting more often and, and sort of cemented his place in the side and you know that, that's when he really really kicked on you know he was forming decent partnerships there was, there was a trust there between him and Jordan Pickford as well which is obviously really important the, the time to get care to him was, was obviously the summer when Marco Silva like like Terry's just said it was a Marco Silva sign and he, he liked them he wanted them obviously he, he got knocked back for, for whatever reason uh, I know we went up to the last last day of the window between him and Tamori and Everton were convinced that either Zuma or Tamori would be allowed to come on, on loan. Uh, it didn't happen uh, because of obviously Chelsea's transfer ban. People forget now Chelsea even sort of post-COVID-19 situation financially are in a very, very good position because they haven't spent... Last, exactly. Yeah, yeah so you know, they've they got that Zayet from uh, Ajax, the Timo uh, Werner, that, that's also done as well. Chill you know, well they, as well that afternoon. Apparently so, for, for big money as well. So even though obviously the majority of clubs are really going to be hammered by this, they won't be as much. So, like Terry said again, they're in such a strong position. But again, you know, Thomas mentioned on it's it's such a lazy link really at the moment. Ancelotti's will have identified his own targets. We know we need a centre half. The papers can put two and two together and, and get seven. It's it's quite easy really. But you know, we, we've heard about Gabriel, um, Tadebo, the lad. You know, there's there's two there who would be ahead of Kurt Zuma, I'm sure, in the Ancelotti pecking up. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, so on on the note of Kurt Zuma, just before we finish on this topic, dead in the water, do you think? Yeah, I reckon so, yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a remnant of the Marco Silva era that maybe we just need to move forward from. He was a likeable figure, wasn't he? But, you know... It's a it's a different era, and obviously Carlo Ancelotti has different targets, and I think you can leave it at that. To be honest with Kerzum, and I don't think there's much more to say on what what really what hasn't been said about Kerzum. And I mean, we pretty much covered them relentlessly for the whole of last summer, and it never ended up getting them. And it, we've got to move forward, and Carlo Ancelotti's definitely got something else in mind. I mean. This is like the only rumour we've heard about Kurt Zuma for, what, nine, ten months now. So, yeah, I think I'd definitely say it's dead in the water as well. Obviously, on this note, guys, we'll leave it at that. But if you have any ideas of centre-back alternatives, let us know. Just just let us know any any ideas you've got who could maybe become the new centre-back who Carlo might have in mind. Or let us know what whether you think Kurt Zuma coming back might be a good idea. For you podcast listeners, now it's time for the middle bit. 
where we give ourselves a much-needed break from talking about Everton and we discuss something else. I'm going to keep with the topic of films we've been going with the last couple of weeks. We're going to ask each other today, what is the most overrated film? I know, Terry, you're into your films, so we'll get your opinion first. Terry, what would you say? What's the most overrated film? Um, I'd have to say Avatar. And I don't mean Avatar The Last Airbender, I mean like the Avatar with the Blue People. Um, I just don't see why it's so big and so popular. Like, I know there's, you know, highest grossing film is not really a barometer of how good a film is, but every time you see, you know, as as is any YouTube, you know, show watchers will know, I'm a big fan of the Marvel, you know, universe films. And whenever, you know, one of their big efforts at the big Avengers films like gets close to the highest grossing film ever, it's always Avatar that it's trying to beat. And uh, I think Avengers Endgame did beat it recently. But I used to, I've seen Avatar and I just think, how is this the highest grossing film ever? Like, it's just, dialogue's terrible in it. It's so, like, cheesy. And, you know, there's, there's worse films than it, but not, you know, like, there's no, not films. But they're not making, are, making millions popular, in the box like, office. Yeah, like, you know, Titanic's up there is one of the biggest films ever. But it's like, you know, Titanic's not a oh, bad film, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. If it's not your cup of tea, it's not your cup of tea. But you couldn't sit there and go, this is crap, you know, like, it doesn't make... Why do people like this? Avatar, I don't get it, though. It's like, I, I, I don't know any sci-fi fans who think it's great. I don't know any, you know, like, you know, cause it's got romantic aspect to it. I don't know any, like, you know, romance film, like, people, you know, buffs who like it. It's just... It's like U2 as a band. You never meet a U2 fan, but they're one of the biggest bands in the world. <laughs> and and well, as well, I say, I bet one of you is a U2 fan now. But <laughs> well, we'll get we'll get we'll get to that point. Where, like in about ten years' time, where like you know James Cameron's lost the plot and he's like downloading films onto people's iPods for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Avatar for me, I, I, it's not an egregious offender, but I just think, why is this the well until very recently? Why is this the biggest grossing film ever? It's it's got nothing like about it that makes it worthwhile. I don't know. I mean, I remember it coming out and the big gimmick was it was the beginning of 3D films. So I, I, I always chalked it up to that. But yeah, that's my submission. Well, that's a good job because you took mine away from me there as well because that's exactly what I just said as well. Uh, so, uh, Mike, what about you, mate? I'm not a big film watcher, I'll be totally honest with you. So I could sit here and, and rip to pieces every single film that's ever been made because I don't particularly enjoy them. Um, I, I can't stand Avengers Infinity War. I'm almost behind you on the wall there. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, Nobody just, told me before you came on. <laughs> I'm just, I just don't. I, I watch, you know, I've, I've watched many films over the years, but a lot of people are really into films, and I'm, I'm just not. You know, I can't, I can't watch Star Wars. You know, all the Star Wars don't do anything for me at all. Um, the Harry Potter films, no, not, nothing for me. The Matrix. Or like, you know, it's just not my kind of thing. I'd rather sit there and watch sport documentaries, to be perfectly honest, and, and watch actual things uh, that have happened. Um, the only thing which you watch is probably fake. is probably Corey. I could sit here and talk about Corey all day if you want and, and critique my favourite characters over the years. Um, but, well, well, but we'll, no, have Phil... we'll, have, we'll have to remember off the next time <laughs> we get you on. That'll be our middle bit then. <laughs> You know, there's a bit of a Bill Kenwright link there for you as well, obviously. Bill Kenwright and they're crying in the pub to be <laughs> That's right. That's... <laughs> but no, films is just isn't my thing. And, you know, as I say, I could sit here and, and moan all day about films, but uh, but I won't, I won't bore you with it, to be honest. 
Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Thomas, what about you, mate? Um, well, I, I don't really watch many films the same, but films I never really understood why so people were so excited about 1917 and Dunkirk. I just I didn't like them. Oh, I right. thought they were a bit boring, to be fair. I mean, it was clever in 1917 with the whole, you know, it's all in one shot. He's he's moving through the place. I just found it a bit boring. And it was the same with Dunkirk. It it obviously Dunkirk seemed to be a bit gimmicky to me. I I mean, it's not gimmicky. I just I just didn't enjoy them. And I get a lot of people did, and they were you know renowned for their, you know their their techniques or whatever. But I'm not a big like film critic. I couldn't tell you much about you know the different techniques used. But I just I just found them quite boring really. And obviously, was it Dunkirk, which didn't have like any music in it either? I just I just got quite bored of watching it in the end. It just obviously Harry Styles is in it, so that kind of brought the standard down you know a few <laughs> notches just naturally. And then 1917 was better, but still still a bit boring really. The CGI actually in 1917 wasn't bad, but I, I didn't enjoy them as films. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those. I wasn't huge on... I'm not huge on that kind of genre of film, so I think that that's never going to appeal to me, but it, it, I was still surprised to see how well it did, so I can kind of understand why you put that as overrated. And there you have it, guys. Uh, that's our opinions on the most overrated films. It's uh, my... Uh, spoiled as ballot paper, if you like. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thomas has gone with 1917 and then like I say me and Terry seem to agree on something Avatar <laughs> who said who said um, you know we, we can't agree on everything <laughs> right well anyway we'll move on to our next topic We are back with a season performance review for Theo Walcott this time, probably one of the more divisive players in the Everton squad. Certainly one of the more divisive players over the course of his career as well. So certainly going to be interesting to see what kind of debate we can sort of bring up in this one. We'll start with you on this one, Mike. What do you, what do you think about Walcott's performances this season? What do you mean? It's such a frustrating watch at times, Walcott, because... You know, football nowadays, especially attacking players, is all it's all pace and power, isn't it? You know, and, and Theo Walcott, you know, he's very, very quick across the ground. Um, but he's so frustrating. You know, 25 games, one goal, Theo Walcott. And we all know, obviously, that when the goal was and the time of the goal was absolutely fantastic and what, what a moment it was. But he's, he's one of those. I think I think with Walcott, again, this season, I just think he's, he's trusted as a, as a senior player to do his job. You know, you know, defensively, I don't think he particularly goes missing. He'll always track back, in a sense. You know, but when he's, you know, his bread and butter is going forward and trying to create chances and bring players in and use his pace and get him behind the, you know, the the fullbacks, etc. And he just doesn't do it consistently enough. And it's such a shame with him because when he was brought in, he had he had a, he had a half decent introduction to the side. You know, we got brought in by by Allardyce, thought he did okay, and thought he would he would kick on starting week in week out for it. For us, I thought you know we'd start to see the best of Walcott, and, and potentially you know we'd, we'd get him back amongst the uh, the England squad. But again, this season he, he promises a lot of times he really does, but but he frustrates so much he misses chances, and you know his final ball yet again is just it's just so hit and miss, isn't it? Yeah, I think that that's been an issue for Theo Walcott for as long as I've been watching him, like since he was like what 18, 17, when he first burst onto the scene with Arsenal. It was, again, I was expecting to see him kick on 
even before he came to Everton and he didn't. So that was kind of made me a bit sceptical about how he could like have an impact at Everton. What about you, Terry? What do you think about the impact Walcott's had this season? Walcott's had his Walcott season, hasn't he? The season he has every single year when he was at Arsenal. <laughs> and he's, he's, He'll have like a spell of games where he's electric, pick up an injury. And then he he'll just be anonymous for all the other games. Like he, you know, who did he get injured against Crystal Palace? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Palace against three one. He'd been playing some of his best football. I was ever. Yeah, he got boss crossing for Bernard and then got injured like two minutes later. Yeah, and that that you know encapsulated his uh, his whole career. Really, he's he's always been like that, isn't he? If he was if he was consistent, you know, he'd be well class almost. But he's just not. He has games where he's he's unplayable. He's you know, he's really, you know, he's really fast. He's really direct. He's not the type of player who, um, you know, gets the ball and takes on a man. But he, you know, he, he pops up in, you know, in good positions. He, he, he gets amongst the action, but he is finishing like that. Like there's an, um, there's a video compilation made of um, last season where Sigurdsson could have had about 15 assists if Walcott could finish. And it, it's, it's the amount of times Walcott just fluffs his lines and. That's that's the way he, he's been again this season. He's 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 found a new lease of life, I think, under Ancelotti. Like he, I thought this four four two would be the death of Walcott at um, at Everton, but he's he's actually took to it quite well. You know that sort of you know sort of simplified right hand side position, but he's he's sort of seen as the well that position in general and him being the only natural fit there, especially Walcott. But it's like the third attacker, isn't it? Like the, the left hand side. So the cuts in and does like an inverted number ten position. So Bernard Wobie, Sigurdsson sometimes uh, goes on that left and you know sort of floats centrally, whereas the right hand side midfielder stays wide but goes more direct, goes more forward. You see it perfectly in that goal he scores against Watford. Like the three, you know, there's Richarlison, uh, Keane at that point, or it would have been Calvert Lewin earlier in the match, and then Walcott as the three pronged attack. But he doesn't contribute enough goals to justify being the first pick there. He's definitely worth having an in and around the squad still, I think. But you'd you'd hope, you know, whatever we are able to do transfer wise in the summer, I would hope that we'd get a player for that position because we need someone in that role who can chip in with more goals than Walcott does because he's a good player, but he's too hot and cold, he'll always do this, he'll always have like decent runs of form, followed by an injury and then followed by a long stretch of just, you know, floating through games and it's just the way that's that's the old Walcott. He was like that when we bought him and he's still like that. Well and let's not forget that he is into his thirties now. He's thirty one now, isn't he? I mean usually for wingers who rely on the pace it's not it's usually a bit of a death knell when you get to your early thirties. Mm. No, I think I do. I do think we need to look. And I think we discussed this in the transfer show we did the other week, didn't we? We said that right wing was a crucial position to strengthen for that reason, and that might just signal the end. The end is coming for Theo Walcott as certainly as a starter in the Everton team. Well, one thing I mean, hopefully we're never in such a position to have to do it, but you never know, um, especially with these games coming up. You know, all squashed together. I'd be almost interested to see how Walcott would do in this 4-4-2 as a striker. In that sort of, you know, second striker off off Calvert-Lewin 
the role Richarlison plays. Now, he's obviously not a patch on Richarlison, but he's always wanted to be a striker in his career, and he's all and he's never played in a team until now who plays 4-4-2. So I, I wonder whether he'd be any good there. Like, you know, as I said, if he's playing in there, it means we've got an injury, and <laughs> you don't want that. But I wonder if you'd get a, a little second wins out of him if he played there, because he's been crying his whole career to, to be played there, and you know he's never going to get a better chance than this, is he? Certainly an interesting idea. That's not something I thought of for sure, but definitely I would be interested in that. And like you say, I think given the couple of injuries we've got on that, and the fact that the squad's going to be stretched because of the lack of match fitness, it could could be something we're trying out. And you know, about Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> I mean, you never know. Probably might not happen. Probably won't. But I'd be interested if it ever did. Well, no doubt, Carlo Ancelotti, given the way he was sort of rotating the squad anyway before the lockdown, I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprised to see him experiment a little bit. So it might be something we get to see. Thomas, what about you, mate? What, what do you make of Walcott? Um, I think I think he's reaching a dangerous point in his career now, where. He's, he's going to be too old to be a regular starter. But, you know, when you get to that age, you need to kind of need to be seen as reliable. You know, if you need, if there's an injury, you need to step in, you know, kind of like Leighton Baines plays now. But Walcott's mm-hmm. problem is he's, he's not reliable if he starts. He's not reliable if he doesn't start. So he's kind of at the dangerous point in his career now where if he can't be relied upon, you know, to not play every game, but just kind of fill in for injuries and he can't be relied upon to start, he doesn't, doesn't really have a place in the squad at all. And... He does have his, you know, he does have his on games, but he just has so many more off games where he just misplaces passes that you don't expect him to. His final ball's awful. And I think definitely now there's less excuse for kind of, oh, let's see what happens, you know, when he kind of hits his, you know, the peak of his career because, you know, I think he's he said he's he was 31 He's passed it completely now. And I just don't think, I think he's, a, he's an all right player every now and then, but don't think we can really afford to have a player like that. And he's probably on one of the highest wages at the club, knowing him, you know, he came from Arsenal. And um, I just don't think he's worth having around the club, to be fair. That sounds harsh, to be fair. It sounds like I'm just trying to throw him out. But he just, he doesn't offer what Leighton Baines does. He's kind of like one of the most senior players by upon. And he obviously doesn't offer anything as like a regular starter. So I don't really see where he fits into the squad at all anymore. I think that's, that's the more damning indictment out of anybody there. Yeah, yeah, I feel, um, I feel like I've been a bit harsh you're, there. But you're you're, you're, you're yeah. the prime walk-off detractor here, clearly. <laughs> but, um, I like him as a person. He actually seems like a sound bloke. Just, no, just he does, awesome. actually. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But uh, obviously, we'll, it's, it's been a pretty stop-start season and there's not a lot to report on from Walcott apart from the obvious limbs at Watford away. So we'll, we'll obviously, um, we'll leave it at that. We'll do our scores out of 10. What would you give out of 10? Mike, what would you give Walcott out of 10 for this season? Oh, I probably couldn't give more than, than a, a 5 or 6, to be honest with you. Again, even a 31, he promises a lot. And like like Thomas has said there, he doesn't really deliver. Yeah, what would you give then? A 5 or 6? I'll, I'll be nice. I'll, I'll go 6. I'll be nice. 6. What about you, Terry? Gonna give him a five. He's not had a great season, but he's not had a you know, he's given us some decent moments as well, like, you know, the limbs at um Watford and the, you know, the, the peach of a cross for Bernard, that that boosts him a little bit, but yeah, five. What about you, Thomas? Um I can't, I can't see myself giving him more than a five, to be fair, but I was gonna give him a four, but to be fair, bringing up that Watford goal, you know, he can have another couple of seasons just for that in my eyes. So I'll, I'll give him a I'll give him a five, that'll do. 
I would have gone with a five as well. So you've got three fives and a six there. So, you know, it's, it's the kind of average, average in, score of general inconsistency that you'd expect from a Theo Walcott. Like, I think, like you said, I think, Teddy, you said it yourself, didn't you? That it's a typical Theo Walcott season. And, you Watch know, any it, episodes of Arsenal Fan TV and it'll be the exact same. <laughs> Whenever he gets mentioned, it's the same thing. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, you know, we'll look ahead to the 2021 season and uh, we can rinse and repeat this next year then, can't we? Yeah. So there, there you have it, guys. That's the end of the Walkoff discussion, if you like. Let us know how you think Walkoff has done this season. We've got the final main segment now, which will be a brief discussion on the new sponsorship deal. Everton have announced a new sponsorship deal with Kazoo. Kazoo is an online used car dealership and is a relatively new yet successful business venture. Started off in 2018 by the founder of online estate agent Zoopla, among other things. The deal is reportedly $10 million a year, which is only a slight improvement on the $9.2 million a year deal we were getting off Sport Pesa. And the, this deal that we've signed with Kazoo runs for three years, which will take us up to what is expected to be the final season that we play at Goodison. So, lads, what do you think of the new deal, Mike? What about you first? Um, the, I mean, the first I heard of them was was uh, the S put sort of didn't they, a few weeks ago mentioned Kazoo and got got laughed at a little bit to be honest with you because there's all this talk over Osmanoff and USM and Megafon and etc. etc. and you know. People have got to realise, I think, in, in the current financial climate, it's very, very difficult. A lot of companies are taking massive hits in terms of revenue and income, etc. But this has been going on for, for obviously a little while as well, because Hummel is saying that the, the shares are going to be getting released in the next couple of weeks. So this sponsor's not just come out of out of anywhere, you know, just out of the blue. But look, looking at the, I mean, one thing I, I to look at, obviously, from a club point of view, it's finances. OK, so that, that's Everton's side. As, as a fan, I like to look at, okay, how does it look on a kit? So I threw a kit out earlier, and I was like to just mess around with, with designs, etc. Dead, dead basic, with their logo on, you know, humble with the chevrons, an old Everton badge, and it looks, you know, V-neck shirt, and it looks clean, it looks smart. More importantly, kids can get a shirt with the sponsor on, and that's the first time, is it, since, since, since we had Chiang, wasn't it, since, since Chiang came on board, which is a massive, massive thing, I think, for the commercial aspect or in terms of share sales, etc. because kids like to obviously feel a big part of it. I know when, when I used to buy shirts for my daughter, she, she gets lady shirts now, but, you know, even then, you'd think they look so much better with that sponsor on. And I'm sure it puts certain people off. So for me, I'm, I'm quite happy with it. Listen, let, let the club sort the finances and what have you. I look at how does it look on the shirt. Can the kids get it? Yeah, that's great. That'll do for me. Really well put, to be honest, mate. And Thomas, what about you? What do you think of the Kazoo deal? Do, do you think it's a good move by the club? Um, yeah, to be fair, obviously, um, what Mike said there about finances, that, that's all the club's business. We can never really you know, talk too much about that. I think, just to try to say something different there, because Mike pretty much covered it all, but just to say, it seems like definitely a company that's kind of going to grow. And obviously, the board are constantly looking for you know expansion, growth, going to Bramley Moore. So obviously people were talking about them, the owner of the company did Zoopla, didn't he, and Love Film and stuff like that. So they can't yeah. believe in a company because everyone was laughing this morning because obviously 
everyone's got more followers than them on Twitter, so everyone was having a good laugh about that. But it seems like they've got potential to, you know, kind of grow as a company. And clearly that's what the board are after, you know, someone who can grow with the club and obviously kind of make the transition into Bramley Moore whenever we end up there now. Obviously about the kids' shirts, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, it hits close to home for me. I don't think I've only had a couple of shirts now with, uh, with the actual sponsors on, obviously. But um, it, it's good to have it, yeah. In terms of the finances, I was a bit disappointed that it's similar to Sport Pesa. And I, I get the club are kind of trying to take this moral high ground about betting sponsors and not having them, even though there's no official ruling on it yet. But, you know, it is what it is. We can't change it now. It looks all right. Obviously, it's not going to be red. It's not going to be hideous. I don't really mind. It seems like a good deal overall. I think the, the most important thing I think you just touched on is that it's just, it's an improvement on Sport Pesset. I think the uh, I think the look on the shirt, I think the the whole model side of it, I think obviously you said it's, it's not been banned or anything just yet, but it, it's certainly a standpoint that Denise, Denise Barrett-Baxendale was very outspoken about this, wasn't she? She said that they want to move to... Um, they, they didn't say... They didn't like the contradiction between the fact that Everton and the community were doing a lot to help gambling issues and having a gambling sponsor, which was obviously undermining what they were doing, they thought. And I think this, it, it's a good move in that respect, certainly from the club's publicity standpoint. What about you, Terry? Would you, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, first first and foremost, you know, both lads uh, touched on it. The it, the main thing for me, as just as a supporter, is what it looks like. Does the does the sponsor ruin the kit? And no, it's a nice, simple, you know, clean logo. It's hard to really get that wrong. Like, let's be honest. And it's not quite as you know plain as Sportpez. Sportpez's font was like didn't even look like a real company, did it? At least because he's got a oh, sl- it was generic know. like aerial black text. I think it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least, at least Kazoo, you know very slightly from that so it looks like it's an actual company um so yeah it's how it looks is a big thing and as long as it's not something like you know ridiculous like you know Poundlands or something like that because then then you're going to end up with all the footy banter accounts crucifying you so yeah so from a design aspect fine with it i prefer that to sport pezza um i am glad that it did the club i've got um gone away from the gambling sponsor uh, for two reasons. One, I think it's just good for the club to get ahead of that anyway, because I think down the line we're going to end up having that enforced on top flight football in the country. It won't be coming in the next few months, obviously, but I think sooner or later that'll be, you know, that'll be a, a rule that the government will bring in going, oh, front of shared sponsors can't be gambling companies. Starting from this year, you can't renew with a gambling company, so you've got to let your contracts run out. So even if that doesn't happen, it's still the right thing to do. The club have, you know, have made the point that the with Everton and the community, the work they do with you know helping people through addiction, gambling was part of that. They didn't want a gambling, you know, sponsor. It's the right thing to do. Um, but it also made it quite difficult when you know you drop your your sponsor right as um, a global pandemic hits and, you know, the massive, massive, you know, business recession, you know, hits everywhere, the whole world. And you've also boxed yourself in a little bit by saying publicly that you don't want a gambling sponsor. So for us to come out with a comparable deal, given all those, you know, outside influences, basically tying our hands a little bit, 
I think it's a good thing. Like, I know everyone was like, I'll put Megaphone on it for 500 million. It's like, yeah, other clubs in the Premier League aren't going to let us do that. Let's be real. Like, they're they're going to see through that. You're going to have, you, you need to advertise, you know, money wise. I'm not an expert on, you know, finances, but, you know, you, I can't see it being a bad thing to diversify your income. Like, I know we get a lot of money from the same, you know, source, <laughs> Mr. Usmanov, in, 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 or, and, or, you know, is is many Mr. Usmanov in disguise, but um, yeah, I'm 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 fine with it. I'm happy with it. I think it's it's a good choice on behalf of the club, and you touched on it before as well. Very shrewd that we've much like with Hummel only signed it for three years, so we've basically we're lining up commercial deals and branding deals, which take us to the end of an era at Everton, which is when we leave Goodison Park, and it could be we go for a full commercial reboot again in three years time for, for ideally with, with, with a bigger stadium and a bigger maybe yeah. pulling power maybe yeah. that's what the aim is no doubt yeah for, I mean you, we could go for a reboot with with more pull more you know leverage we could you know we're basically we, we're resetting now this summer for the final stretch of Goodison Park I know that's horrible to contemplate but We'll do it all again when it's time to move into the next chapter of the club's history, and I, I do. I think it's. I think it's very, very clever. You know, it feels very far removed from the days of Robert Elstone, where these deals might have been six years and for half the money, and and so on and so forth. And yeah, I'm, I, I can't find any issues with this deal. I'm, 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 I'm pretty pleased with it for what it is. Yeah, I'll be honest. That's a really good point to finish on there as well. I think how far we've come since Elston was the chief exec and these sort of deals seems to be being done a lot more professionally and a lot more, like like you say, a lot more measured, a lot more calculated. I don't think we seem to ever have a clue what we're doing. And if anything, that's a really good indicator that we're moving in the right direction is that the people in charge of the financial side of things seem to be in control of what they're doing. And that can only help us, particularly as we head into this sort of period of uncertainty as well. Yeah, it just shows joins up thinking that these deals are structured in a way that, you know, when the new stadium opens, we've got an opportunity to go with different brands for everything and sell them something a little bit more, you know, a little bit more high quality, um, you know, new stadium, hopefully a better team, everything. But, um, yeah, I, I think considering all the outside influences, you know, the depressed, you know, financial market, the fact that we've ruled out a massive part of the advertising sector in football, from our own, you know, our own comments, I think we've done really well to get to get a deal as good as that. I, I know people want them to be a much bigger deal, but I think if if we could have had a, a deal where twice this lines up, it probably would have disappeared with the with the outbreak of the of the virus. What can you do? Like <laughs> the, the real world happens. Like well, it's not unique to football, but um, yeah, I think we could have it a lot worse. I think this is a good a good move by the club. Yeah, and um, I think, like you say, Kazoo is quite a new company. It's going to grow, and it wants to grow mutually. I think with the club, which is going to be a really good thing. And just a final little comment there: Alex Chesterman, the guy who founded uh, Kazoo, is uh, he lobbied to try and stop Brexit as well. So I'm sure <laughs> that'll go down well with your typical scouser as well. So uh, he, um, he he wanted it the deal reviewed by Parliament, didn't he? I remember hearing about that so yeah he's the right kind of guy I, I, yeah clearly cl- 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 they're going down the moral route certainly <laughs> they've got the club's showing off it's i mean 
that's always been the way. Everton's always been a club that tries to do the right thing, and it's, it seems that we've finally found a sponsor in that respect. That's a much better match for us than the previous one, which is another step in the right direction. Yeah, and it's an indicator that the club listen to the supporters. And, you know, another yeah, one. I mean, definitely. You know, whether you agree or not, a very large, you know, voice, you know, large amounts of supporters have voiced concern about a gambling sponsor. Some people didn't care. Some people, thought, especially a gambling sponsor that's repeatedly took the mickey out of Everton as yeah. well. Let's not forget yeah. that. Well, yeah, but some clubs have just go. Some clubs have just turned around and go, "Listen, money talks. Who pays the most money is getting it." We've turned around and said, "No." We're a club with a very clear identity of who we are and what our supporters want, and we're taking gambling off the shirt. And I, for one, am happy with that. I, I like the club that they've done that. Um, wasn't particularly a big problem for me to have a gambling sponsor, but it shows that they've listened to the supporters, and you can't fault them for that. Yeah, so I think the, the club's definitely, in, in terms of the PR side of things, definitely made a very good move there as well. So we'll, we'll leave it at that anyway. That's the end of the sort of kit sponsorship deal discussion let us know what you think about the new kit sponsorship deal for you podcast listeners we're going to finish off with a quiz it's a bit of a different one this week it's an international caps challenge i'm going to give the lads a name of a former everton player and they're going to have to guess how many caps they got for their respective countries Closest one to the right answer out of the three of them gets the points, and the first of five points is the winner who gets to pick the song at the end of the show. Ready, lads? This yeah. is the best part. This is the best part no. of it. I don't. I don't <laughs> have to be ready. <laughs> You'll never be ready. But this, the, the best part of this is that I don't have to go looking for a coin to flip because you just I just re- throw names at you and like <laughs> you just all give me an answer though. So yeah, no no coins to flip. We'll just get straight into it. So we'll go with Mike, then Terry, then Thomas. Uh, so you put me last, you know, that, that makes plenty of sense after what's happened in the past. I, 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 I've heard you've got a very good track record regardless, mate. <laughs> I think you'll be just fine. I think, I think Terry has nightmares about it, to be fair. So he was, he was, he was haunted when he heard Ter- I was coming Ter- on. Ter- Ter- Terry's record versus you is almost as bad as ours against Liverpool, so. <laughs> Here we go. Right, he's, he's all ready, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First question. How many caps did Tim Howard have for the USA? I'm going to say 83. 83. What about you, Teddy? 91. 91. Thomas, what about you, mate? Um, I'll go 95. 95. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of like a Price is Right kind of format whoever gets the closest by points sorry by the amount of caps is going to get the point and i can tell you that the number is 93 so you so terry and thomas are getting a point there so that's a very interesting start (laughs) terry and thomas both have a point after the first one second question there's 15 by the way so one way or another we will find we will find the winner even if it takes all night. Uh, second question: How many caps does Seamus Coleman have for the Republic of Ireland? I'll say sixty-nine. Sixty-nine. Teddy. 
52. 52. Thomas? I'll just go somewhere in the middle. Uh, 59. 59. This is incredibly close. Seamus Coleman has 56 caps. Thomas, you've got the point, mate. Question number three. How many caps does Johnny Heitinger have for the Netherlands? 47. Mikey Gomer, 47. Teddy? I used to know this because um, I watched it in a video in, off of another channel. <laughs> um, I got number 55. So we've got Mike with 47, Teddy with 55, and Thomas? I don't want it to seem like I'm going down the middle every time, but um, I'll go 50. 50. Well, the answer was a nice round number, actually, but it was 40, and Mike's got a point. There you go. Everyone, everyone's off the mark. So not, 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 not bad here. This one's going to go to the wire, I think. <laughs> Question number four. How many caps did James McFadden get for Scotland? Oh, I'd say 51. 51. What about you, Terry? Can't be that high. Um... 39. 39. Thomas? Um, yeah, I don't think it's that high. I totally can't agree with Terry. Uh, 36. 36. We were looking for the number 33. Thomas, you got another point, mate. <laughs> Terry's Thomas just getting flashbacks now. Thomas picks the right time not to go down the middle, doesn't he? <laughs> right, here's an interesting one. Question number five. How many caps did Joe Max Moore get for the United States? I don't know who that is. I've literally <laughs> never heard of him. When did he um, play? He's like he played in 1999 to 2002. He played for Everton. He was brilliant. Oh, he was brilliant. What's that? Me and Michael tell you he was brilliant, wasn't he? That was Excellent. unbelievable. He, didn't, he, he scored like a hat trick once against someone crap, and like everyone thought he was going to be a world beater. Uh, uh, that's on, a difficult one, that. Joe Max Moore. I'll go in 51. 51. Teddy? I haven't got a clue, so I'm going to go for 25. 25. And Thomas? Um. I mean, I've never even heard his name before. I mean, to say he joined the club when I he left the club when I was born is a, a steep one. Uh, I don't know. What did Terry say? <laughs> Terry said 25. <laughs> don't tell him. <laughs> uh, I'll go 24. <laughs> Thomas, I'm not even messing, Thomas. You, you just played and absolutely blinded on him there. <laughs> Joe Batsmore had 22 caps. <laughs> He's horrible. He doesn't even know when he's still doing it. The, the, the Liverpool the, the, of the quiz, that's all he is. He's well, the, 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 the devil's quiz, quiz participant. Yeah, the I just kept scrolling off everyone else's answers and just guessing. <laughs> okay. Question number six. 
How many caps does Yakubu have for Nigeria? Um, 49. 49. Teddy? 49 sounds nice. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> I've got, so it worked, it, it worked for the, for the for you, so I'm going to go with 48. 48. Thomas? <laughs> that's actually really interesting, because I was actually always going to go for 47. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> You so unless write, he's, you unless you he's you actually off at forty-eight exactly. You, 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 you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't write this, could you? And the the bad thing is, this tactics won Thomas the whole quiz because Yakubu <laughs> only had Yakubu only got twenty-four caps in Nigeria, and Thomas has won five to one to one. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd only won four. That's out of all that. <laughs> We only needed six questions. I thought that was going to go to the wire at one point. He's, and then... he's the living embodiment of those goals on FIFA where you pass it when the keeper's rushed. You, you know, <laughs> those scum goals where you just pass it back to the player in the middle. That's He's the living the, the embodiment of that feeling. He's the embodiment of winning quizzes on this show, though, to be fair to him. Yeah, he's, done it, he's, got, he's gone and done it again. And that. Uh... And you know what that means? You get to pick the song which sees us out at the end of the podcast. Thomas, what are you going to go with, mate? Tell us a bit about the well, song. That's my, problem. that's my problem because, obviously, I know I'm going to win every time when I come on, but... I, I know, know he always comes song. prepared now. <laughs> he's run out of songs. He's, he's picked every song he's ever heard at this point. I, don't, I can't even remember what I've picked in the past now. Um, he's, going, he's going on to hymns from when he was in school. <laughs> I'm still in school. <laughs> I haven't left yet. <laughs> um, oh, uh, have I done True Faith by New Order yet? I feel like I've said that, but I'll have it again anyway. I don't know. It's a good song. Do you want to tell us a bit about the song? Why are you going to pick it? Um, it was in my library uh, when I just scrolled down there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I just think, just think it's a bit of a tune. I don't have anything to say. It's about. a bit, it's a bit like of a tune. I'm, I'm not going to argue. That is a bit of a tune. <laughs> Terry always seems to have like a storyline to songs that he picks, and then I come on and I just. <laughs> I, I, think then, I think you run out of stories for the songs that you pick once you um, <laughs> you start winning as many quizzes as you do, mate. I know. I, I have to pick. I have to make stories because I get a long time between picks that I have to think about it. I get weeks and weeks and weeks to think about it, mate. <laughs> that's it yeah. you know he, he, he comes up with a song like you know every now and then when he's lying awake in bed thinking like why on earth have I never won a quiz against Thomas <laughs> but I think, uh, I think it, it was my problem yeah I think I wiped out like all like, the northeast anthems like, like quite early on so now I've got nothing else to say have, 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 you, have you done Gaz's version of Fuck on the Tarn yet where he raps about sickly sausage rolls <laughs> I've never that yeah, I'm a big fan of that tune that's more you know the other side of the river maybe, maybe one day you never know. Well, there you go. We'll end on that. New Order True Faith is going to see us out. Big thank you to Mike for joining us from Unholy Trinity. And if you haven't followed them already, give them a follow as well because it is a brilliant podcast. Uh, and we'll definitely have you on again, Mike. And uh, we'll make sure we talk about Cory instead of films next time. So. And I, I was going to have uh, the Cory theme tune to play as I was going to have won that, which is a bit of a shame. Really. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't like films, I don't like music, I just like everything. <laughs> I, I only like soap opera. <laughs> I've only got room for the two. And yeah. lights on both of them. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if Ken likes not a party, he doesn't want to know. Exactly right. <laughs> I, lo- I love, I love, uh, love West End plays as well. Oh, there you go, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it'll definitely end up being like Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream Coast if he wins the next quiz, innit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, brilliant. It was great to have you on the show as well, mate. So we'll definitely have you back soon. Cheers, mate. Enjoy the is right and uh, of course a big thank you to Thomas and Terry who of course you know very well on this show and their rivalry will keep on going in the quiz it seems so <laughs> is it a rivalry if there's no competition or is it just you know, oh, <laughs> he's, he's one of them Liverpool he's one of them Liverpool fans who's saying like, like he's irrelevant now yeah he, he replies to Paul Joyce tweets and everything doesn't he this isn't Liverpool <laughs> this, 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 this isn't quiz news for it's the worst possible comparison I think I could have picked up on this podcast. <laughs> you know, this, this is what happens. This is the cost of success, mate. <laughs> so there you have it, guys. That, that's the end of the show. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll finish off with New Order True Fate. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>